Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and today we're continuing on with the uh, series that's in honor of Mr. Darren Patrick, who recently passed away. Today's date is May 20th that we're recording these, and today there's just the two of us, me and my guest host, Neil Nelson, all the way in the, I don't know if you're warmer or colder today. In Tennessee, it's 49 and raining, and it's cold. And, oh, man, we're we're way warmer. What are you at today up there in the wild north? Let me let me take a look. But we were, we were above that when I walked out of the house this morning. Yeah. Um, we are we are at a balmy. My my phone's pulling up here. Seventy six degrees. Are you kidding me? Swarming in Wisconsin today. We're all in sweatshirts and jackets down here. So uh, it's the winter that won't end. But well, don't right. get me wrong. Forty nine degrees is shorts and t shirt weather for us <laughs> up in here, Wisconsin. It's a, it's so a Wisconsin either. summer day here. Yeah, <laughs> there's something about that wet cold that's different than dry cold though i mean it's just to the bone but anyhow all right well today we're going to talk about a very important topic and that is the mental and emotional health of a pastor and this is coming out of uh you know kind of reviewing what happened in the darren patrick story and we really don't want to put a lot of blame on him we just want to be thankful for him and his ministry and pray for his family but I think that it sparks a good conversation because obviously um, in the situation like that, there's a lot that's going on in a pastor's life below the surface. It's a bit like the tip of an iceberg, right? What is it? 70 or 80% of the iceberg is below the waterline. And so in many ways, if you're, you know, if you're a lay person and you're listening to this, this is a really good episode to listen to because you may come out with a little better understanding of the emotional strain and and the mental strain. If you are a pastor, then maybe this will help you to articulate where you may need help if you're struggling in one of these areas. So let's just begin this conversation with the the mental strain that a pastor endures, okay? Uh, So Neil, can you give us, in your opinion, what one mental strain may be that pastors endure? Well, well, I think one thing that's been especially clear during during this COVID season, or at least it, it's made it more obvious, is is that the week in week out preparation. I think for the, for the average pastor, um, you, you know, as soon as you're done with one Sunday, you're thinking about the next event, whether it be the Wednesday night services, whether it be the next Sundays, and so so there's sort of a, a perpetual movement that can make it hard for you mentally to sort of step out. And really take a break from what you're doing. And, and even if you think about it, so often you plan vacations between Sundays. So that means even when you get away, mentally, you're probably still a little plugged into where you're going from. So, so I think that week in, week out preparation where it never stops and there's always another one coming, that, that takes a lot out of you. And, and you realize that when, when you're in a season of, of this where, where things have been so different. And in the associate pastor, I've not had the strain you have. But I've, I've been able to almost take more of a break than I've ever taken before in it. But I can remember the first three years of my ministry when I first became full-time at a church in Illinois. That was one of the hardest things to adjust to is you're never done. Mm-mm. 
there is always another sermon to prepare. There's always another sermon series to prepare. There's always another event to prepare for. There's always another Lord's Supper to prepare for. There's always another uh, counseling session to prepare for. There's always another visit that needs to be made. There's always another phone call that needs to be made or a car that needs to be written. It doesn't stop. It is just perpetual. And it is it is taxing. It is taxing. Um, so that's good. Let me throw another one out there that is going to be, I guess, a first cousin to this one. And that's going to be unrealistic expectations, managing those. Uh, actually, I just got off the phone with a pastor today that a uh, couple left his church. They said, you know, we're, we don't uh, particularly care for your preaching. And, uh, you know, it hurt. Uh, you know, I don't know what they were expecting. If they were expecting uh, Billy Graham or if they were expecting Alistair Begg or whatever your favorite pastor, you know, style is. And, and I, I think we all understand that our preaching style is not going to be everybody's preference. You know what I mean? Uh, at least I know mine's not Neil's might be, but mine's not. So, <laughs> uh, and I, I think sometimes we get a kind of like a Messiah complex where we can think we can be like Christ and we can just be that to all people. But, uh, the reality is there, there are just not categories in which, we're going to be the best. I think every pastor has areas they have shortcomings in. Uh, when I think about churches that where pastors leave, a lot of times I've seen churches rush out and get a pastor who has the opposite strength set as the pastor they had. And so then when the new pastor gets in, a lot of people get mad because maybe the first pastor was really good at visitation and family ministry, but he wasn't good at say administration and, and the pulpit or something like that, you know? And so they get the next guy, he comes in, he's really good at the pulpit and he's really good at administration, but he stinks at family care and pastoral ministry. And so what's the reaction of the church? You know, uh, he's not the old guy. No, he's not the old guy. He's not going to be the old guy. And so, you know, uh, the comparisons, you know, and I think that, um, I think a lot of times church members mean well when they say this, then they'll, they will compare, and this is part of the expectations, they'll say, oh, you remind me of pastor such and such. And sometimes there's pressure in that, you know, they, I don't think they mean for there to be, but there could be pressure in that. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like they present a mold that they want you to fit into that. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good way to express what I'm getting at there. And, you know, there there are also goals that they have for attendance budgets, even denominational recognition. You know, I know in Southern Baptist like they like it when we can hit the paper, you know what I mean? The Baptist reflector or, yeah. you know, and I'm sure they have different, uh, different ways they recognize up there in uh, uh, your denomination as well. So anyway, but there's a gap. And a lot of times between what a pastor really can do and what he is and, and congregational expectations. Neil, what's another yes. one, brother? What do you got? You know, one thing that, that I think came to mind out, out of some of the conversation we've had ahead of this is I think th there's a real challenge in, in, in sort of balancing the reality of your ongoing shepherding work in a person's life. That the fact that what we're doing is not a labor we can produce on our own and a desire 
to quantify what you're producing and to have measurable goals that you're going after. So maybe you could say sort of being driven by what you value and, and what you call, your mission is called to be, or, or else being driven sort of by a, a mindset of, of what results can we show. And so especially when, when what you're desiring to be and, and the fruit of that are not lining up, I think that can be a really hard thing. And, and you know, we're right now at our church, we're in a season of annual review. We're coming up on our, our, um, our annual meetings, going to, Lord willing, be sometime in June if we can get together. And, and so you're sitting down and you're writing your annual report for the church family. And, and I, for one, I'm not good at remembering all that went on the last year. And so there, there comes this moment of discouragement where you're thinking, am I going to have anything good to tell people that has happened? Mm-hmm. And, and so in that way, I think, I think, that, that balance between living for the mission, the identity of who God has called you to be and living for the measurable result, I think can put a lot of pressure on you as a pastor because sometimes we're called to be faithful even when the results aren't there. And, I, and I'm not saying, I don't know that I'm in a hard ground situation at our church. I, so I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to speak ill in that way, but, but the reality is sometimes faithfulness is what we're called to, not results. Yeah, that's right. That's a very good point. Because it's, you know, how do you quantify, well, I back this brother off the ledge from getting a divorce or I, you can't even discuss that. Or you say, you know, how do you, how do you discuss, well, this person came close to killing themselves and I back them down from that. There's no way to quantify that. And you can't quantify because you can't share those aspects of ministry with people. And so there is a, there is a load that you carry, which um, in some ways is going to, I'm going to use this to then uh, springboard us into the um, pendulum swing of emotional encounters that that pastors have. And this kind of goes with, you know, the mental problems and how it's taxing. But, you know, one article we looked at in preparation for this, I like how it framed. I'm just going to read this line from it's very helpful. A minister deals daily with grief and grace, everything in between, perhaps more than any other vocation. A pastor regularly moves in and out of situations with polarizing and intense emotions. And I think that's very true. And the author gives the example of death and birth. And I, I experienced this in my own life. My, my first full-time church in Indiana, you might remember this now, uh, a week before my son Asher was born, my first son was born, one of my best friends in the church died a week almost to the day. And so I went from death to birth in seven days, like intense emotional uh, you know, roller coaster. You can go from divorce to marriage, right? You could be doing counseling for divorce and then walk into the next room and your next meeting be on premarital counseling. You can go from perversion to conversion, you know what I mean? To helping somebody walk through a pornography addiction to somebody coming to Christ and then conflict and resolution, you know, some, and, and I'll say this, I think we've talked about this before in church life, but one article or one book, I can't remember which one it was, I read on the church revitalization said, most church conflicts can never be resolved. They can only be managed. Would you agree with that statement, Neil? Yeah. I, well, I think there's, there's a lot of truth to it. Um, you know, in, in one sense, I hope there's, there's ways you can come to compromise and resolve them. But what I like about that comment especially is, is it's the reality of the points living with people that are not going to be pleased with what you do. And so, so there, there's points where, where again, where you're up against an expectation that is, is not um, necessarily who you sense God has called you to be as a leader. And you're going to have to live with those people's disappointment. Um, it could be that you're running a program and, and you have to, you have to run this new program or initiative with the reality that, that you sense 
it is it is a new direction that you guys have to pursue the mission God has called you to. While at the same time, there's people sitting on the sidelines, not necessarily rooting against you, but at least not going to be surprised if things don't work out. So yeah, I, I think that you have to live with unresolved conflict um, because Lord willing, some of those things fix, but the reality is they don't fix when you want them to. And the ones you want to fix may not. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that statement. Do you think that there are also, I'm going to put in the same category. I'm going to ask you this and see what you think. Uh, do pastors sometimes carry conflicts or conflict issues that perhaps they shouldn't? Oh man. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And I would say, I don't know that I can speak for, for every pastor, obviously, but, but, but personally, struggling with that desire to please people, I think, leaves you carrying a lot of burdens and conflict that, that you ought not carry. And so, so the reality is that there can be moments where you recognize um, that, that, that there's maybe a habit or a sinful root to the problem you're seeing in the life of a, a congregant. And yet, because you know they're angry at you, you can't separate that anger from the reality that they're sort of in a situation where they're experiencing some of the root of their own sin. And so you do, you, you sort of carry that burden, even when you can see that maybe that burden isn't yours to share or carry, but, but it's hard not to. Why? Because there, there's always that temptation or desire to please or live up to the expectations of those you're serving. And then there are residual emotions where after you've gone through these conflicts or you're carrying these conflicts around, there is residual emotions that are left over from certain encounters. And I think those linger in the mind and heart of a pastor, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, and this is something I, I think that, that pastoral ministry may have some unique ones, and I think other occupations do as well. But, but I, I find that there's a lot of days I come home and it's, it's hard to detach from some of the things I dealt with during the day. So, so again, and, and because you want to honor the um, privacy of those maybe you're caring for, um, it's not necessarily something you're going to walk through the door and start sharing with your family about. And, and so, you know, it can be very difficult when you get home and something is still spinning 90 miles an hour in your head to be able to transition and be present in home, which adds an entirely new burden. So suddenly you're wrestling with the, the desire to be present, to care well for your family, while at the same time, your head is still spinning with what you've heard, what you've been a part of back at work. And so, so now you've got kind of com competing concerts going on in your head. And, and that, that can be maybe what you're speaking of, the residual, the stuff you can't set aside. You're, you're physically at home, but you're yeah. only mentally half at home. Yes. Yeah. And it's difficult to, uh, to deal with. Uh, and then this leads to another thing, and I, and I would say this, this is something an older minister warned me about one time. Because of the emotional swings and pendulum that pastors deal with, you have something that happens to, it happens to nurses a lot, but in particular happens to pastors. And I would say and argue that uh, they are underdiagnosed with this. I think sometimes people think that we're just tired or whatever, but you go into something called emotional fatigue and emotional fatigue is where, because you have swung so hard from all these different high reigning emotions and you have these residual effects that, the, that you just eventually kind of become numb because, you know, a, a death, a suicide, a, another divorce becomes another day at the office. You, you know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah, I can, I can certainly relate to that. 
And so it's, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, as, as ministers, that's not a good place to be in when you get to emotional fatigue because you're, you know, it's, it's difficult dealing and having compassion at that point. So what's uh, another one? Can you, can you give us another one, Neil, you think that uh, would cause emotional mental strain, emotional mental fatigue? Well, I think, I think we've covered a lot of them that, that, that sort of typically are there. I, I guess the only other one that, that I could I could think of or maybe easily identify for me, and again, again, it, it, maybe it's unique to, to pastors who who are tempted to to live to please people, but it's personalities that you just you maybe don't mesh as well with, and, and it's not to sort of critique or say that they're all in the wrong or you're all in the right in terms of who you are and what you value, but but you're just different, and so every interaction with that person. Can, can be a little bit weightier and, and, and it may be that what you're working on as a church at that moment or that time is, is causing you to work closely alongside that person. And I think sometimes the reality of, of the dynamics of, of being in a church with, with, you know, hundreds of people is, is you're going to walk alongside some brothers and sisters who just aren't quite like you. And it's going to take more out of you. And, and, and let's be honest, there's people that are going to feel that way about me who it's going to take more out of to relate to. And, and so those are hard days when, when you've been working hard at, at pursuing a relationship, at, at loving somebody well. And, and yeah, so, so I think that you can get to those days, you, even if you do a great job of it, you can, you can get home and you're spent. And, and again, that's the point at which you've been called to the responsibility to engage well emotionally with your spouse, with your children. And, and it can be hard to find that reserve to do it. Yeah, sometimes you're just so tapped. And, you know, I like I said, I've worked where I've been very physically active in construction and you're just breaking your back. And I was, I'm more tired phys- physically from mental work than I ever was. In life. Uh, one last one I will cover and then we're going to shift gears and, and talk about maybe a little bit the stress of COVID-19 has put on pastors, but uh, problem people. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not talking about people with problems because that's everybody, including me and you on this uh, episode today. <laughs> not, not people with problems. That's all. That's everyone. Don't confuse the two, but problem people tend to be higher maintenance individual who consume an extraordinary amount of a minister's time with petty complaints or unconstructive criticism. That's the definition we're going with there. Uh, how do you handle these situations now? You know, I, I think, think a part of it for me. And I, and, and again, I, I think honestly, Travis, in our conversations, you've always been better at, at, at maintaining boundaries with people than I have. It, it's working towards, towards being able to use the word no. Um, so, 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 you know, coaching myself in the midst of that conversation or before that conversation or following the conversation that, that, that the burden that they're sort of wanting to lay on the table and say, hey, you take this because I need you to be as upset about it as I am, to be able to say, no, that, that's okay. I, I don't have to own, I don't have to receive maybe um, th- this burden that you're trying to put on me that you expect me to have to carry. So, so a part of it is, is sort of being aware of my own heart and that desire to say, man, if they're upset, then I'm upset because they're upset. And the reality is sometimes You've got to be at peace with the fact that they're not okay, but that doesn't necessarily reflect on something I need to carry, or it doesn't mean that I have somehow failed them or, or, or not been who God has called me to be. So, so to me, it, it's a lot of recognizing those, those thoughts 
that, that come to mind, maybe the emotions that come to mind and walking through what I know to be true um, is, is what I kind of do with that. Yeah, those are excellent points to make on this one. You know, I, I think that we must remind ourselves that I don't think it says anywhere in the Bible you have to sit and listen to unfair, hurtful criticism every week. And so, you know, Rainer, I think, was helpful for me in talking about how, you know, he he kind of figured out a way to put good boundaries in place for those folks. So, uh, yeah. And if you're sitting there today and asking yourself if you're a problem person, you're probably not, because I don't think problem people think they're a problem. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think they think they're doing what's best for them in the church. But, you know, anyway, and if uh, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't think I'm a problem person, then maybe you should think about it, right? It's kind of like those people who think that they're not saved are probably the ones that are saved and the ones that have all the confidence in the world probably need to look at the gospel one more time closer. All right, now let's just quickly touch on the mental strain of this global pandemic. I know that Barna did some research on this, the mental and emotional health of pastors and their congregants during COVID-19. And um, some interesting points here. I'm just going to touch on a few quickly. Pastors say they sort of understand the immediate needs of their people. Uh, they say they somewhat understand the congregation's need. Another, that was 55%, 43% said they definitely know the needs during the midst of this. That, that would be a hard thing for me to say. I definitely know the needs of every, every I mean, I, I tend to be a person that asks people, what do you need? What's best? You know, uh, instead of just assuming I know. Uh, and then ongoing discipleship has been tough in, in the midst of this. I know you've got a heart for discipleship too, Neil. And so it's like, how do you do one-on-one -on -one discipleship or one-on-three? Uh, half church leaders are finding uh, time for personal spiritual development. And I guess the other half are not, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of one of those situations where I feel like I'm busier in the midst of all this with the preparation and what are we going to do? And then things changing and then showing optimism about their own well-being amid the crisis. It says here, overall church leaders say they are doing well despite the current disruption. One in five pastors, 21%, say their spiritually well-being is excellent right now in the midst of this global pandemic. Would you say that's true, Benil? Well, you know, honestly, it has depended on the moment because because one of the things that I've taken away from this season, and again, you, you Trav, I want to hear your perspective on it because you're a senior pastor. I'm an associate pastor. And and so, for instance, I'm not finding myself prepping a sermon every week. I, I, I never do. But at this point, not only am I not prepping a sermon, but even the long Sundays at church, we're, we're able to, to have church as a family on Sunday mornings. We watch our senior pastor's sermon. We, we always pick out some worship songs to sing together. And, and it's, it's an incredible time, and, and that day is entirely restful. Now, now our work schedule at our church is we do a six-day work week where our day off every week is Saturdays, but the reality is Saturdays can often be preoccupied with what's coming up the next day on Sunday. So, so in some ways, what I have found is, is I have been able to take a Sabbath rest and, and come away from a Sunday feeling refreshed in a way that I have not in a long, long time. So, so that's, that's been a really good thing, but I, I do wonder Travis, because not only are you doing your normal Sunday routine, but, but I know for a fact that your, your online content, you're, you're doing stuff almost, if not daily, what has it been like for you? Because you, yeah. you have this new need to find ways to connect with your, your, your church members, 
but at the same time, you, you have an increased need to produce um, discipleship material through through your yeah. speaking and teaching. Well, it's been hard uh, because mentally the work of what am I going to do? What am I going to do next? Because here, here's, for me, I feel like everything got turned on its head and I had to do the same amount of work I was doing as far as the preaching and prep, but then I had to do a U-turn on a lot of stuff too. So, you know, I was planning on finishing up a book that I had been working through and that book was Hebrews and then COVID-19 hit. I was coming close to the end of finishing Hebrews and man, people needed to hear some words from Psalms you know, there because of where the sheep were in the midst of that. So I had to completely re, you know how it is when you're preaching through a, a text in a book, you've got that in your mind and you're kind of mentally prepared for that. And then you, you know, to go from Hebrews to Psalms is a bit of a jump mentally, you know what I mean? But that's what the, that's what the body needed. And then we got through a, a ser- short series on Psalms. And then I thought now, you know, and every pastor I know was texting me, what are you preaching next? What are you going to preach? And all of us were kind of praying and looking, you know, the, well, I, I thought, well, what, what does the body need? And I'm hearing a lot of fear and I need to address that from the word, you know, fear of a lot of different, well, I have a job, will there be food? You know, there, I don't know how inventories are doing up there in Wisconsin, but down here, you know, in, in Elizabeth, and shelves are still bare from toilet paper and meats. And I think the Midwest has done a little better on the meat, though, isn't it? Well, our, our meat has gotten short, but I, there's always something. Yeah, there's always some. But um, so anyway, I mean, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to do a series on fear. But then I've been jumping around, and I'm, I, I don't think I'm comfortable. You know, I've talked about Gideon this week and how God used him and you know, weeks before I, I went to the, the story about Jesus calming the storm when he fell asleep in the boat, you know, and just kind of like all these different things that, you know, I think people are getting reminded of, you're not in control. And as a pastor, you're being reminded of that too. And then you're also trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I navigate all these mental shifts? Because when you move from one of the gospels over to judges, you've got to kind of make some mental adjustments there too, you know, and you got to give a lot of background information Otherwise, some of the text doesn't make sense. And so, you know, making sure you're providing that. And then, you know, I've found, too, that, um, you know, the longer I'm in ministry, I, I think people do better with shorter bits of, you know, <laughs> material. I used to be a guy when I first was in seminary that believed in the longer sermon. But the longer I'm in ministry, the more I think people value brevity. You know what I mean? Like, I remember one funeral home director told me, you know, whether you say it at the graveside in 35 minutes or five minutes, they'll retain about the same amount of information. And I thought, well, that's probably true. So, but in preparation work to say what needs to be said in 35 minutes and five minutes takes a lot more work mentally. You have to trim and trim and trim and trim. You know, what? one of the things when I was writing my doctoral work that I read said that you know, the best, one of the best pieces of writing advice that I've got, and I think this is probably true for sermon advice as well, is that once you have your document finished, go in and cut half of it out, cut half of it out. And I thought, you know, same thing here. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's been harder as well, but uh, anyhow, so let's, let's get on to what we can do to, um, to help pastors in their mental and emotional health. What are some things we can do, brother? 
Well, you know, the, one of the first things that I would think of, and I, I know we're going to work through kind of a list of uh, uh, different things as well, but, but, you know, God, God uses these seasons of heat in our lives. He, he uses sort of the, 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 the strain, the challenges that we face in our workplace to continue to draw things out of our hearts. And, mm. and so, you know, so the, the heart that is full of sin is going to produce thorns and thistles. The heart, the heart that is being filled with the spirit is going to produce good fruit. And so I think for me, one, one of the things that I always try and be mindful of, again, as I mentioned, in, in seasons of discouragement and times of where, where I'm emotionally drained or near empty is, is to just be mindful of the dialogue of, of my thoughts. So, so what am I saying? What am I believing? What am I, what am I communicating to myself to be true that may or may not be true? And then to try and line that up with scripture. So, so I, I think that, that one of the, the exercises I try and keep up with as, as crazy as I'm going to make myself sound is a, a biblical kind of internal dialogue that, that addresses what I'm experiencing coming out of my thoughts. Cause, cause again, when, when you're emotionally empty, you're, you're going to oftentimes give in to frustration. Um, you're going to kind of want to beat your own drum and, 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 and kind of talk about how hard life is for you. And, and, and at times, I think that, that that then caused you to look further and further in. So I guess one of the things I want to start with is, is use those seasons as a chance to take stock of, of the, the, um, the inner workings of your heart to, to see the fruit that you're producing in trials. So, so I want to address those things and, and bring it back to the truth. That's, that's one of the things that I want to start with, but I know there there's other, there are other gifts God has given us, um, to, to, to really work through those. What, what are some of your favorite things, Trav? What, where do you go to? Yeah, I think, I think you make an excellent point of maintaining your walk with Christ is critical. I, you know, I, I know everybody thinks I'm like very extroverted and I guess I am, but I, there are times I need to withdraw. <laughs> so, you know, like I need, I need for my own mental and emotional health and to have passion and love people well, I need seasons to be away from people. And we actually see this model with Christ, don't we? You know, he gets up early in the morning and he goes away. So uh, away from the crowds and has time with the father. Uh, I think uh, I would, I would say uh, talking it out, calling friends, having good ministry friends. I know I call you from time to time. What do you think about this? How about this angle? You do the same thing. Those are critical to me because then you, I feel like I've got somebody in the boat rowing with me, you know what I mean? And so it doesn't feel like it's all just one person that's, that's under the mental and emotional strain, but you got somebody, uh, one anothering with you and helping you carry the burden. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Uh, what, what else you, would you say any more, add any more to that? Well, well, as I said, I mean, one of the things that I've, I've, I've seen, and this, this to me, I don't know that I would say that I've done this well. And in fact, I, I've got a lot of questions about how to get better at it. But, um, but I know that, that one of the things we talked about was a Sabbath rest. And again, mm-hmm. th- there have been a lot of Sundays in these last couple of months now where I've walked away and said, man, versus getting to the end of Sunday and feeling like I've got nothing left. I actually am able to look back at this Sunday and say, wow, like I've, I've been refreshed. And, and the conversation we've had within our own church is, okay, as pastors, we're going to get back to that normal routine eventually, but is there a way we can protect that Sabbath rest and really make sure that we're finding ways? And, and it's a battle because, again, that, that Sabbath of Sunday is not going to be fully restful necessarily for the pastor, but are there, are there ways that we can protect a, a, a rest? And, and the thing that I, I'm working on, and I'd love to hear your input on, is what does it mean to rest well? Mm. Yeah, that, that's a challenge. So, mm-hmm. so you could say, Hey, I'm resting and you can go sit down and watch a couple hours of TV. But the reality is you've probably taken more out 
just sitting there watching foolishness than you have poured in. And so, so Travis, what do you find you walk away from and say, Hey, I've rested well versus what do you find that you do to rest? And I did the air quotes there. You do to rest, but then you walk away and say, that was a terrible use of my time. Or, yeah, you know, I think there are certain things uh, that are that are helpful in this. You know, I like what one person said once, if you don't take a Sabbath rest, your body will force you into one with sickness. <laughs> and so I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, you know, I think you, God designed us to seek after joy and to seek after, you know, uh, things that bring us joy. And so I think figuring out things that you delight in, that you enjoy, you know, for me, you know, my children's laugh and smile, taking them fishing. There's nothing more joyful to me than watching one of my kids really to fish and kind of freak out. And so in one way, that's always a nice little Sabbath break for me, uh, enjoying your wife and not being frustrated at the tip of a hat, you know, and instead of, you know, I, I like what one person said one time, you know, we, when, and when you're in ministry, people stab you, right? I mean, this is just what happened. They bite sheep, bite you, and they occasionally stab you. And there's a temptation, I think, to bleed on our wives and bleed on our children and maybe even bleed on other staff members, but we need to turn to prayer. And I, I think I've found a lot of times just reading the word and praying and I feel like that's two sides of the same coin. You know, like somebody asked once, what's what's more important, prayer or scripture reading? And uh, Spurgeon said, what's more important, inhaling or exhaling? You know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think that they can't just purely be a, um, you know, uh, a whatever, like you said, zoning out, letting your ear, letting your brain dribble out of your ears while you watch TV. I, I think there has to be some sort of Christ-centeredness to it. Uh, but, you know, sometimes just getting stuff off your mind. Sometimes I do like mowing the yard because I'm just thinking about running that machine. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm. And uh, my dad always liked to run equipment because he said, I'm just thinking about that. I'm not thinking about other things. And so you can find something like that to take that perpetual you know, preparation or residual emotional strain off of you. I think it's a help, but I don't know how helpful those things are, but that's what I, that's what I turn to. So. No, I, I found, I mean, to your point that, that when you're able to take time in the word and then turn that word back to the Lord in prayer, it, it's incredible how uplifting it is to, to allow God through his word to shape your thoughts, to shape your words and to shape your prayers to him. So, so again, that's why the Psalms are so incredible. It's like God said, there's nothing more important than worshiping me. Now here's 150 songs to help you do it. And, and those songs are going to run the gamut of, of both the, 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 the highest joys of our life, but also the deepest woes. And so when you can turn to a Psalm that reflects the condition of your own heart and cry out to the Lord with it guiding you, you're right. That, that, those have been very good times to me. Yeah, I feel like uh, it was R.C. Sproul said, I almost feel guilty reading the Psalms because I feel like I'm having the curtain pulled back on a very private conversation between a saint and the Lord. And I thought, well, that's, that's true, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. all right, well, we've got to wrap up this uh, episode on mental and emotional health. Been very helpful. I hope this has been helpful for our, those that are listening. And I hope you join us next time. We're going to take a look at suicide for whenever a leader commits it or or uh, pastors for that happening. So join us next time on Appalachian Baptist Network. 
You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.